Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan. Joining me today, so I'm not talking to myself, is Joe Saunders. Do you know where Nick is? Is he alive? Nick is in the Upside Down. Nick? Oh, that's right. The Upside (laughs) Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick is totally lost. We haven't heard from him. He doesn't tweet anymore. We have, we have to go we have to go inside and find him. He's he's searching for Tyrod Taylor in the upside down. <laughs> the second Tyrod Taylor got benched, he mysteriously disappeared. Oh yeah. And hasn't yeah. been heard from. He talks all this shit and then disappears. <laughs> all right, but we'll kick off today's show just with some brief news. We had the qualifying offer deadline pass, and the only player that took the qualifying offer was Hyunjin Ryu. He's going to take the $17 million plus qualifying offer. Man, I wish somebody would give me a qualifying offer. Do you have any thoughts on Ryu and the impact of this move? Um, I don't really, honestly. Um, I, I He kind of just fits in. Um, it's still a good spot for him. I do have a question for you. This is not a non-fantasy question. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is a smart move on Ryu's part, or should he try, try and test it free agency? I think this is a smart move by Ryu. I think that he was probably looking at like a – two-year, $25 million contract on the open market because of his extensive injury history. This gives him the opportunity to cash and then go back into the market next year and then sign the longer-term deal. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a wise move, especially given his injury history. Yeah, and I think given given the fact that um, there's other starting pitchers on the market right now, it's a good move. If it was uh, a year where he was the best available pitcher or like one of one or two – then maybe he should have tested. But yeah, I agree with you. I think yeah, the, well, the qualifying tru- offer was good. Truthfully, I don't know what the market looks like next year. I don't know if you I don't know either, yeah. No, um, I haven't. But just based upon how it's gone for him, I think it's a wise move. I was a little surprised the Dodgers did. Me too, actually. Me too. Like, I think maybe they thought he would test the market and maybe have gambled wrong. Yeah. But it's the Dodgers, so it might not matter. You know, they might have... I don't care about spending the 17 million and you know exceeding the luxury tax because they're probably going to do that anyway. I would assume they're going to be players for either Harper or Machado. So um, I wouldn't be shocked if you know they just said, "Well, if he takes it, he takes it." But I mean, you know, the rotation is super deep, like always. I mean, especially with Ryu back, you've got Kershaw, you've got Bueller headlining with Hill, Ryu, Alex Wood, Ross Stripling, Julio Urias, Kentameda. The list goes on. I actually think they're going to need to offload one of these guys. I don't know whether it's going to be Hill or it's going to be Wood, being that they're the last years of their deal. Um, they've also got Matt Kemp on a super big contract. Like He's, like I think, the highest-paid player on the team this year. Hmm. Um, maybe not. Maybe not after the Kershaw deal. Yeah, I think he's at 21 mil. Yeah, it's like 21, 22, something. So they like might have to pair a prospect with him to offload that contract. But, again, money might not be an issue. Um, so I don't know, but I, I suspect they might try and move one of their pitchers. Hill is making 18 mil, and I know Alex Wood is right around 9 mil. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two guys is headed out the door. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at what point – so we were, we were talking about this. At what point do the Dodgers have to mix up the formula, right? They've been doing this now for a number of years, and they've gotten to the World Series back-to-back years, which is a good thing, but I just can't see them – getting by the super AL teams without making some significant moves of some sort Um, between the lineup and always rotating players and the rotation and always rotating players. It just seems like there's something missing. Um, 
I don't know if it's like extreme star power. I can't really put my finger on it, but I just don't think they're still good enough right now as constructed to beat the AL teams. I, I do think it's star power, though. I, I think that... Well, I mean, you know, they had Machado this year, so maybe it's not. I know, I know, and that's the thing. That's where I kind of walked back, but I mean, some of it's just timely hitting. They've This year, I mean, this year specifically, right? The timely hitting wasn't there. Last year, they got to Game 7, so it was really it. A coin flip, whether or not they they lost or won. Um, but you know, they they made the splash and got Darvish last year, and that didn't really pan out. They made the splash and got Machado this year and Dozier, and that didn't really pan out. It's like you know they're just missing on the the big guys, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it might just be a timeliness thing, like you're saying. I mean, I definitely think that they were they were the lesser talented team in each of the last two world series. I'd agree with that. But if you, if you continue to go back, you know, eventually you, you believe that the law of averages and the baseball gods will eventually break your way because I mean, it's a seven game series. Anything can happen. So I don't know, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do this off season, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a pitcher on the way out. Um, you know, even though they've shown continuously that they, loved it, have that sort of depth. There is such a thing as, you know, you're, you're, you might be hurting yourself now and in the future by holding all of these contracts on the roster because, you know, the penalty might inhibit your ability to compete the following year. And being that they gave Kershaw that big deal and they've got Bueller in his prime and a lot of their pieces are, aren't, you know, at the point where they're hitting the decline phase you would think that they're going to want to compete in subsequent years and therefore minimize um, the luxury tax impact that they're going to feel going forward if they do exceed the luxury tax, which we both think they will. Yeah. Okay, well, let's shift it to the too early starting pitcher ADP. As we've done with all these shows, these ADPs are from Justin Mason's too early mocks. Um, and first up, we're going to discuss Clayton Kershaw, uh, 22.3. He's the starting pitcher five. So Kershaw has fallen from the top of the heap, but does he need to fall further in your opinion, or are you okay with the price? Yeah, so this price is pretty expensive. Um, and it, as much as I love Kershaw like everyone else, I do think he could sort of have a Verlander-like fall to his career, although they're completely different pitchers, um, and Verlander got a lot of that velocity back. Um, I think Kershaw is smart enough <clears throat> to be able to relearn how to pitch. And I think you're already starting to see it, right? He's cutting the fastball percentage as um, as that velo drops and increasing the secondary offerings. Um, but right now, I kind of feel like I have a hard time putting Kershaw in front of Verlander and Nola for starters, and even maybe Cole and Bauer as well, because those guys are all going to beat Kershaw in terms of strikeouts right now. Um, and I'm just not sure how much further Kershaw is going to slide in terms of ERA. Whereas all those guys I know are pretty much good for like nine and a half uh, K per nine or higher. Yeah. In my first run, I had Kershaw seventh, but I'm sort of where you are. I've got Verlander behind him. I'm thinking about putting Verlander over in. And then I've got Carrasco there as well, who I think I might boost in front of Kershaw. Um, if I really was decidedly down on him, but I also don't want to, entirely poo-poo Kershaw. It's just, he's, it's the new reality. He's no longer the ace. Mm -hmm. He's just in that sort of capable second tier. Um, 
And the reasons why he's no longer that ace are relatively simple. The health has been an issue the last three years, so the volume hasn't been there. You can't rely on him for 200 innings. The strikeout rate, the K percentage, and the K per nine were the lowest of his career, um, actually since his rookie season, I should say, to, to be um, to be perfectly honest. The velocity is down two ticks from 2017. And as you said, I mean, he's already seen, already seen the adjustment. He's starting to de-emphasize the fastball um, and rely more on the breaking stuff, which is a positive sign in that there's an adjustment. But, of course, it's a negative that it seems like the, the uh, fastball is leaving Kershaw. Now, you do have to account for, well, maybe there's injury and maybe the fastball isn't quite as down as it, as it actually is. Maybe it's just the back affecting him, but then, you know, it's a cyclical argument. When is yeah. the back injury going to pop back <laughs> up again? Exactly. Um, you know, in terms of co- hard contact, uh, his hard contact rate was the highest of his career, 36.1%. Um, the next highest was in 2013, and that was 28.9%. So that's a little wow. alarming to me. Wow. Um, so, I mean, there, there are some red flags here. Uh, the innings may have started to catch up to him because, I mean, you also have to look at it in terms of playoff innings as well. Uh, he's been in the playoffs for a majority of his career. Um, so perhaps the diminished velocity is a sign of fatigue as opposed to a sign of injury. Um, if it comes back, Kershaw could have a significant value. And that's why I think I have a hard time pushing him lower. And, I, you know, I, I see the momentum building right now where Kershaw is going to start to move down the boards, I think. I think the industry consensus is that, Five might even be too high, and you know the innings are a concern, and the velocity is a concern, and so on and so forth. And I just want to throw out a word of caution. You know, I'm considering moving him down a couple of ticks, but I don't see any way I'm going to get him outside my top ten. And I think that's where it becomes a mistake, where you start pushing him down to 12, 13, 14, 15. Um, you know, it's, it hasn't completely left him. We've already seen some adjustments from him. And even if you're worried about the carry, I mean, we've seen Zach Greinke in that ballpark post similar type, um, you know, K rates and walk rates and be among the best pitchers in baseball. So it's not like this package can't work, even if this is the current package. Yeah, I mean, like right now, he's pretty much like peak Madison Bumgarner. I mean, maybe the ERA is a little bit higher, but, you know, in terms of strikeouts and walks, I mean, this is like what Madison Bumgarner has done his whole career, and he was always drafted within the top 10. So I- I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the top 10 is probably the right spot, but I like the guys that offer the strikeout upside a little bit more. Um, and maybe Nola is not – maybe Nola I'm kind of on the fence about, but I definitely feel pretty good about Verlander. Well, I think it's either, stri- either the strikeouts or the innings, and when you look at Verlander, I think that's really what you're counting on. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, he's going to get you such a volume at such a K rate that it's really tough to get Kershaw over him, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you run through the scenarios in your mind. Because if the Dodgers do go into the year with any sort of pitching depth, depth like they're showing now – Kershaw doesn't even have to get hurt. He's going to see a phantom DL stint or two just to keep him fresh for the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so then we move to Luis, Luis Severino, 33.3, starting pitcher seven. Severino was really bad towards the end of the year, a 5.57 ERA in the second half, but is still being drafted as an ace in the two early mocks. Are you sticking with the larger track record that he has, or are you concerned that he might bust at this cost? Yeah, so I know there were uh, discussions – about him tipping pitches in the second half, um, and that could be why uh, he had such a fall from grace. He's another one. I don't know why he's ahead of Verlander and even Bauer. 
Um, I'm going to keep mentioning the same names, Verlander, Cole, and Bauer. Um, you know, the three of them were excellent last year, um, and they showed no signs of wearing down. I mean, Bauer got hurt, but whatever. Um, I mean, there's certainly more upside in Severino as he gains more and more confidence with the changeup. But right now, I just don't really see how you can draft Severino in front of these guys. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think you, I think I trust the longer track record. You know, you mentioned the tipping of the pitches. It also could have been a loss of command on the fastball because the fastball got just absolutely crushed. Despite premier velocity, the velocity wasn't down at all. Um, so the fact that there's no velocity loss tells me there's no injury. And that would be my primary concern for Severino. As you mentioned, you know, the changeup development is going to be key for him. Um, and he has started to trust the pitch more, um, particularly last year, which is a great sign because that slider is great. So you get the premier fastball, you get the slider, and then you get the change to complement. Um, you know, that's that's the full package that you really want. Um, I do have him a little lower than the ADP. I've got him 10th, but I'm not going to get him much lower than that. Um, you know, I agree with you. When you start to get into that Bauer-Nola sort of range, it gets a little fuzzy. I think he's in that tier. Like, I would have Kershaw in a different tier, I think, than Severino um, on on its face. But I, I think he's squarely in and among those pitchers. I wouldn't have him any lower than that based upon the finish to the year and based upon what we saw. I mean, like I said, the velocity was good. So I'm not really worried about injury. He's got a full offseason to figure out what went wrong. Um, so I imagine he'll be back to normal come April. I think it might have just been a bad stretch. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, right? Like, um, the next guy we're going to talk about is Patrick Corbin at 14. Um, I feel really good about I'd rather have Severino than Corbin. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you that he's yeah. probably stuck in that tier. But for me, he's probably at the bottom of the tier and not so much at the top. Yeah, see, I think Corbin is more the top of the next tier Yeah, I agree. sort of thing. Um, all right, so Corbin is 56.3 SP14. He's one of the big movers year over year. He's a free agent. How much does his landing spot affect his value? And do you think this is a little aggressive for a pitcher that has both injury and production concerns in their past? Yeah, so given that he's not an extreme fly ball pitcher, but mostly an even mix, I don't really think there would be a huge discount, even if he moves somewhere like the AL East. Um, with such an even batted ball mix, Arizona is probably going to be one of the worst places to land with triples uh, everywhere, right? So as far as his value, him... But Humidor! Yeah, I guess. But... <laughs> Him, him and Paxton and Strasburg are, are largely all pretty similar. Um, and I think the name, I, I'm going a little bit ahead here, but the name that stands out uh, in this bunch too is Bueller, Walker Bueller at 19, who I think should be a, among these guys. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but, we, but I can, you know, fawn over Bueller in a little while. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah so I mean uh, – you know, is his injury a concern? I mean, I don't know. He put it together, and, and he was great. So, any like you always say, any one of these guys can get hurt at any moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a big believer in that. And But I, I disagree with you on the venue thing. I do think the venue can affect him quite a bit. Um, he's really a breaking ball only guy. He found what was either a slow slider or a curve last year to complement his primary slider. So um, he's got two of them, which is good, uh, but the fastball is just bad. Um, the result is a lot of swings and misses, but a lot of hard contact, 41.7% hard contact. That's second worst among qualifiers. Um, uh, of, of fastballs? 
on overall pitches. Ouch. Overall contact. Yeah. Okay. Um, and giving up hard contact at that rate, I think the homers may become an issue. And his league average BABIP at 302 might be a little light, especially if the defense behind him is mediocre or worse. Um, Arizona has annually been one of the better defensive teams in baseball. So I think that could be a factor as well. And then when you look at the breaker usage and the significant in-season velocity decline that he experienced last year, you have to worry about injury too. Now I should point out the velocity did come back after a mid-season dip. So whatever was wrong might've worked itself out. Maybe Corbin started to feel um, a little bit of fatigue and started to uh, take a little bit off the fastball to keep himself healthy. Could have been any number of things, but it's still a red flag that I think we need to highlight. Um, he had a fantastic season. I, I can't get him outside the top 20. He's 14 in terms of the ADP. I have him at 18. Um, but, you know, and it's tough to get him lower than that because all the starting pitchers are flawed. And <laughs> all of them have health concerns, as you said, Joe. So Yeah, like I, I want, Strasburg. Yeah, exactly. He's in that range. So however you're going to order those guys, however you're going to order them, they've all got that injury risk with the sort of high-end ceiling that comes with them. So that's like a mini tier in and of itself. It's the hurt pitchers with the high upside. Okay, let's move to Madison Bumgarner, 62.4, starting pitcher 18. And we're also going to talk about Walker Bueller here, who's right behind him at 63.8, starting pitcher 19. So who would you rather have, Joe, the falling Bumgarner or the on the rebound or Bueller on the rocket up the board? Yeah, uh, it's Bueller for me. So Bumgarner grooved more fastballs right down the middle than he's ever done before. And it showed as his fastballs got absolutely pummeled. Um, I, I just find it, again, really hard to pass up on the kid with five pitches. Um, I mean, Bueller's going to have Bumgarner far beaten K per nine, even if they are pretty close in ERA. And I think that's still being pretty generous to Bumgarner because the fastball is just not what it used to be. Um, I'm curious to see where you are. I also have Bueller over Bumgarner. Um, you know, the arsenal is there. He's got pitches that generate whiffs and grounders, which is a major plus for me. Um, I don't think the innings are going to be that restricted or restricted no. in any sort of meaningful way. Uh, for Bueller, so I'm not concerned about workload. And, you know, I, I think that this is a point where you should sort of, you know, raise a flag in your mind when it comes to my analysis, because you, from listening to me, you know that I normally am a little bit more conservative on younger players um, than a lot of the industry, I think, tends to be. Um, you know, I would normally rather wait let the price get expensive and then wait for it to come back before I get in on a player. But I, I can't deny Bueller. So, I mean, I'm totally in on the other hand, Bumgarner hasn't been the same skills wise since 2016, the K rate, the swing strike rate, the velocity are all trending in the wrong direction. His hard contact is just a tick below Corbin's at 41.6%. So we know that hitters are squaring him up. So, I mean, is Corbin is, is Matt, mad bum now just Corbin without the whiffs? Um, I don't know, but I'm not going to pay up to find out. Um, and on top of that, one of the big things that's always been in Bumgarner's favor is the ballpark in San Francisco. And he's a potential trade candidate either before the season begins or during the season. So if they move him and he goes to a less friendly ballpark, even a neutral park, that could have a significant effect on his overall numbers. And what you're really buying here is ERA and WHIP, right? Because the Ks have never been – you know, outstanding otherworldly. 
So even if he's like an eight and a half K nine K per nine guy, if he shifts ballparks and that has a significant effect on him because he's not a major ground ball guy, you know, you're, you're really buying like a top 35 type starting pitcher as opposed to, you know, a high end pitcher at inside the top 20. Uh, yeah. So I want to add something too. Um, I, I'm just thinking about this now, so I haven't done a, a real robust analysis, but Felix Hernandez started to kind of hit the the path to downward spiral when he was 29. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, Madison Bumgarner's the same age right now. Granted, right, that could be different total innings. Um, Bumgarner pitched in the playoffs. But I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities to just imagine that Bumgarner's innings are finally catching up to him coupled with the injuries. I was about to say, I think the, the difference is the injury and it cuts both ways. Right. So the injuries have been somewhat fluky. I sure. mean, one of them was certainly a, a motocross injury, <laughs> which is completely out of left field, but you know, it cuts both ways. It's, is it, he's starting to break down or is it, he's just hit some bad injury luck. And when he catches a full off season of health, and not only a full off season of health, but a full off season of health off of a couple of seasons when he's had a reduced workload, does he bounce back? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, right for me right here, it's Bueller has the potential to be like, he can theoretically put up a top like five or six season next year. I don't think there's any chance Bob Martin could do that anymore. I think there's a 0% chance that Bueller is SP 19 in March. I think that he's, SP 15 at least, if not higher. Yeah, and that's that still is not uncomfortable to me. No, to that's not uncomfortable to me. And I think Bumgarner, I would feel a lot more comfortable if he was outside of 20. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. All right, let's move to Mike Fulton-Nevich, 97.6, starting pitcher 26. Fulton broke out in a big way. Do you see a repeat? And why do you think the market is more cautious on him and more optimistic on Patrick Corbin? Yeah, I think it's pretty simple, actually. Um, so, for one, faulty secondary stuff, namely the slider, isn't nearly as good as Corbin's. And two, faulty has a history of losing the zone and walking, guys. Um, so those two... But I just wanted to point out, just do you think that faulty slider is a good pitch? Hmm, I think the fastball is what carries him. See, I think the slider is good. And that's why I wanted to interject there that it's not Corbin slider, but there is nobody in baseball arguably that has a slider that's as good as Patrick Corbin. That's true. So I just wanted to draw the line, whether you thought the slider was like an average pitch, a good pitch or an elite pitch. Okay. No. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do think it's good, um, but I, I always liked, I always really like the fastball mm -hmm. um, and you know, the electric speed from the fastball. But yeah, I think those are the, that, like that's the that's the the bulk of the difference, right? So he's got a history of losing the zone, and the slider isn't as good. Granted, Corbin's is like one or two, right, in the lead. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's why he's he's further down. Now, is he twelve starting pitchers further down? I'm not too sure. Um, I haven't done my rankings yet, so I don't know. But I imagine that this is probably a pretty good place. Yeah, I I like what Fulty did last year. He de-emphasized the fastball a little bit and made it more effective. He moved a little bit away from the sinker, and he threw some more sliders. And, and I, I think that I'm probably a little higher on his slider than you are. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have Fulty behind Corbin, but 
in doing this analysis, I pushed Fulty up because, well, I mean, Fulty has the velocity that Corbin doesn't. So he doesn't have the hard contact problem either. Uh, he doesn't have as much strikeout touch, uh, but he's hardly a slouch there. I mean, he's over nine case per nine. He has the control issues a little bit, but I, I don't know. I, I think that this might just be a case where Corbin's put together, you know, a couple of pretty good seasons, right, before this. So I think people see his floor as a little higher than Fulty, whereas Fulty, we've always seen Fulty be excellent and unusable. So I think this might be a floor <laughs> issue. Um, I don't think I can get Fulty over Corbin, but I, I definitely moved him up afterwards. He was a lot better than I thought he was. Um, and what intrigues me the most isn't so much – I think he's going to float where he is in terms of Ks and walks. But to me, the, the contact profile was what, what I found so encouraging because he, he, he had a really nice bad ball authority mix, whereas Corbin's got that – you know, almost league high hard contact rate. So to me, that's a red flag for Corbin. And I really don't see a lot of red flags in Fulty in the picture that he is currently. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sell Fulty short. Right. Cause I, I was like the big believer back in the day too. Um, and I still believe, and I, I think you hit the point mixing the fastball differently was important and de-emphasizing the sinker is also important, right? Like all of those things together has made him a better pitcher. And as long as he continues to do so, um, which you'd have to believe he will, I, I do like him. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe in a standard league where uh, walks aren't as important, um, they should be closer. If you have any sorts of, you know, like Kato Walk or something, I think Fulty takes a little bit step back. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the fast the fastball slider combo is good, and he's made legit improvements. So I I sound like I'm walking back, but I I think I I I think that Fulty will probably be you know right outside the top twenty, and I think that's probably where he should go. Okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Sure, Baumgartner or Fulty. I'm not there yet. <laughs> uh, it's close. It's close. I'm I've never. I wasn't a big believer in Bumgarner coming into the year, if I remember correctly. I don't. I, I have a pretty bad memory, but I. I don't think I liked Bumgarner as much as like Nick did for the bounce back. Um, and I don't know, man. That the fastball is like just not good anymore. I could. I. I could see someone doing it. And but are I, you that person? Am I that person? Um. See, I'm not. I'm not. That's where I draw the line. I think. I, I think that's I th like right where the Bumgarner line is. I think. I think. I think you're right. I'm not yet. Just because even with the poor fastball, Bumgarner still wasn't terrible. He yeah. actually wasn't even that bad. Yeah. Well, results wise. Yeah. Skills wise, he was. Skills wise, yeah. Skills wise, he was pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Give me Bumgarner. It's like a. It's like a hair. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones where. You're staring at the board and you're like, actually, I'll tell you I what. Really Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Bumgarner? Here's the deal. If I have Kershaw, right, I'm taking Fulty. Okay, that's fair. And this, have... might, and this might be one where it depends on how Bumgarner looks in spring training. Yeah, yeah, but right. If I if I have someone 
at that top that doesn't offer the the real real high K upside, I'm giving I'm taking Fulty. I don't okay. want to be stuck with two guys at like seven or eight K per nine. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. It might be a team construction thing. And yeah. that lets you know how close nice, they are. Nice cop out. <laughs> <laughs> I slid right by that one. <laughs> All right. Let's move to the Zach Wheeler, 113.3, starting pitcher 28. And we're also going to discuss Robbie Ray, starting pitcher 29, 114.9. So these two are back to back. Wheeler was a 2018 breakout after years of injury. Um, Bray was a 2017 breakout and followed up with an uneven 2018. Who would you rather have? And did you expect more of a discount on Bray? So um, Wheeler was more expensive than we thought. I think we both guessed that he was going to be mid-30s at the beginning and then creep up. I remember Nick was like 40 or something. He was way off. Um, I think I was pretty close. I, th- I seem to remember being like oh, right around 30. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I mean... I- I don't know. I mean, he's he's even higher than we thought, or I thought at least. Um, so I think Re- Wheeler really isn't much of a breakout as it was just health. I mean, this is largely a lot of the same guy we saw back in 24 in terms of results. Um, but now he's healthy, pumping even more velo than ever before. And Ray, on the other hand, I mean, I don't know how you can trust him anymore. The velo is now wavering. Um, at the beginning of the year, it was low. It worked its way up. It, it took down a little bit. And he just does not have the command. He's homer prone, which is a, a an incredibly bad recipe to have. You know, if he just gave up a lot of home runs or walked a lot of guys, it's really not a problem. But the both together, I mean, you get a lot of traffic and then you give up three run home runs instead of solo shots. If Ray could just somehow command the zone better, he could be a great pitcher. But until that happens, man, I'm taking Wheeler here. Yeah, give me Wheeler, who I think is healthy and finally figured it out with his strong arsenal. He can definitely pitch. I think Ray is too much of a thrower. And as you said, the velocity is starting to tick downward. Wheeler has four pitches spanning three different velocity bands, mid nineties, upper eighties, low eighties. And the contact management is superb. 23.4% soft contact, 24.8% hard contact. The control took a step forward as well. And one of the best parts about Wheeler is that his fastball is probably his best pitch. So that's the easiest pitch to command. So he will usually have his fastball, and then he just needs one of his other secondary pitches on a given start to prevent like that sort of blow-up that used to haunt him in the past, where you know it creates a low floor, a high floor for his starts, because he's usually going to have a secondary pitch to go with his excellent fastball. And then when everything's working, that's when you get those blow-up starts where he goes – you know, seven, eight innings, 10 Ks. Mm-hmm. Um, with Ray, he was wild. The walks were over five per nine. Um, he kept the Ks, though. The hard contact is still a problem, 44.4%. And that ties directly to the lack of command that you said, Joe, and, and the control, too, because he falls behind. Um, so then he's falling behind, and then he's putting a fastball right over the middle of the plate. And a diminished fastball at that. So the results of the second half were better but there was nothing in the skills that makes me think Ray deserved better. Uh, injury obviously could have been part of the problem with Ray because he was hurt, but he also walks a fine line and he's, he's frustrating to own because, you know, he sort of needs to be effectively wild. Ray's probably a team construction guy, big K's, but you need the sort of ratio base to carry him. Wheeler is not. 
Um, Wheeler is strictly a health risk. You know where Ray needs to go because the Diamondbacks are shopping him? Where? Oakland. Yo, that's a good spot. That's yeah. a very good spot. I, I mean, I don't, I don't see why you would take Robbie Ray over Rich Hill. Well, we're gonna get to Rich Hill. Gentlemen. I know, I know I'm we are. Just gonna I know we are. Flip out. <laughs> no, no, no. But I know we are. But like, like before we dig into Rich Hill, like, why would you ever take Robbie Ray over him? Because of the innings. I mean, let me tell you, as as a Ray owner for like two years now, here's what happens: he goes four innings. They're spotless. He's got like six Ks, maybe two walks, and then all of a sudden he walks three guys and he's out of the game. So he's a third time through the order problem. Maybe that might actually be it. I haven't dug deep enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna write a note and look into that because okay. that might be it. Um, but yeah, Ray is incredibly frustrating. Own. Yeah, and and he's also a whip bomb. You know, so like even if he's on. And ERA is good. Like the the whip is probably going to be a problem, right? Because of the walks. Yeah, yeah. And then all it takes is one home run, which he gives up often, and then you're dead. Yeah. Y- your quality starter, your win was washed away. Okay, okay Wobby Way. Wobby Way. Uh, washed I can't away. We didn't say that to start. <laughs> Wobby right. Way washed away. <laughs> all right, let's move it to you, Darvish. One thirty nine point one starting pitcher, thirty six. Injury and poor recent production has the market bearish on Darvish. Do you foresee yourself as a buyer? Okay, wait. So I just looked it up. Sorry. Okay. So first time through the order, 281. Second time through the order, 259. Third time through the order, 913 ERA. Okay, so, well, there, there it is. You, you got a third time through the order problem. Yeah. All right. Um, so as far as Darvish goes, uh, yeah, there's a ton of possible value here. I had mentioned way back in uh, week eight of last year. Um, that his release points were way off, and that was potentially an indication that he was hurt. Well, that's what happened. Um, if he comes into the season healthy, we're talking about a potential top 10 starting pitcher at 36. I mean, we were drafting this guy at like 9 last year, I think, between like 9 and 12. Um, this is certainly the territory to take the risk. I mean, we're talking about Robbie Ray here, um, and I don't think Ray offers nearly the upside that Darvish potentially does. So, yeah, if all indications are that Darvish is healthy, um, yeah, good to go. Green light. Yeah, I'm pretty in line with the market in terms of where he is among starting pitchers, but I think this might be a case where I might be higher on Darvish overall um, because I I just feel like there's not really that sentiment out there, Joe, and I agree with you. I mean, the injury is tied to the poor results. The velocity was essentially flat. It looked to me like he was fighting his mechanic and feel for his pitchers last, last year, and I think the numbers support that. Um, the walk rate was way up. The chase rate was down. The first strike percentage was down. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, the release point was off, and that ultimately was what bared fruit in terms of the injury. Um, I don't think he's going to move much. He was uneven during the season and bad in the playoffs in 2017, and he was terrible last year. He's got injury problems in his recent past, and Darvish is right on the cusp where pitching starts to turn. So I think most players going in front of him – are exciting and young or steady eddies. I know we just talk about rate. It's obviously inconsistent, but I, I think that this is going to be one of those markers where a lot of people jump off starting pitching and start to take a lot of hitters. And I'll be happy to end up with Darvish because if healthy, he's like a top 15 type pitcher in terms of upside. Um, you know, and, and even as we go through the, through some of these players tonight that are going behind him, 
How many can say that in earnest, that they can finish as a top 10, top 15 type starting pitcher? You're going to see there's not many. And, and that's what I've been on about in terms of, you know, the starting pitching pool is is getting thinner as a result of starts to look thinner as a result of what teams are doing in terms of um, lessening the amount of times these guys go through the order and relying on their bullpen more. So I think there needs to be a greater emphasis on starting pitching early in drafts this year. So when I was talking to um, Toby from Batflip Crazy, we were talking about how um, oftentimes, right, a lot of these breakouts that players have are poor projections on playing time, right? Um, and the case that we really discussed was Jesus Aguilar, right? So um, there's really no reason to think that this can extend to starting pitchers too. And Darvish is like the perfect example of that. Um, you know, if you think he's going to get hurt, then sure, he's aptly priced. But like you, like you just outlined, there's very little indication that he actually lost his stuff and he just wasn't hurt. Um, so I think, I think this is a case where we're just missing the, the whole playing time prediction prediction potentially. Right. And sure he could be a zero, but at 36 starting pitcher, right. If he's a zero, you can always just grab someone else. And every starting pitcher could be a zero. Yes. Right. So you can always just grab someone else. And you know, this is, this is like a, an approach that I'm trying to change um, in my analysis this year, in the past, I used to really stay away from injury prone guys. And you were the big guy that used to go after them. But the more I think about it, if you're aggressive early enough in the season, you just drop a guy and you grab someone else. There's always going to be someone else that exceeds playing time projections and ends up being a darling like Max Muncie or Jesus Aguilar, right? There's always those guys. And if you're concerned about injury risk, you can buy them, right? And then sell them for someone you perceive as safer when they start start hot. Injury risk isn't something that like tends to keep a player's value depressed for very long, right? So like if a guy comes out in a month and puts up if Darvish comes out in April, right, and throws five starts of like 2.5 ERA ball with 10 Ks per nine and the velocity is fine and he's showing no signs of injury, you have a top 15 starting pitcher asset. Yeah. In that yeah. moment. Yeah. Because no one's going to continue to push him down for injury risk at that point. And then if you're concerned about the injury risk, you can get off and trade him for somebody that you perceive as safer or, you know, somebody in the same class as him at draft time, plus a bat, and you can get off. So even if you're concerned about the injury risk, I don't think you should shy away from these guys because it's it's very it's very rare that the player is going to strictly be a complete zero. So I, I think I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. Okay, Kyle Freeland, 150.8, starting pitcher 40. The less buzzed about course pitcher, of course, I'm referencing German Marquez. Uh, Freeland put forth a very good year, but skeptics remain. What do you think of this price for Kyle Kyle Freeland? Uh, let me see, Kyle Freeland. Uh, yeah, so I think there's actually a lot to be afraid here. Um, namely, he's a pitch to contact guy on course who suppressed home runs at an outstanding rate this year without a whole lot of ground balls. His best his best pitch by whiff rate last year was his cutter at 14.8 percent 
with his secondary slider only at 10%. Sorry, I'm out. Yeah, I think it's way too expensive. He doesn't have overwhelming strikeout stuff. His control is not great, which has pluses and minuses. The plus is he's not getting into hitters and living the fight another day. Sort of the anti-Michael Pineda. Um, <laughs> minus the base runners are bad. Uh, you know, a 285 BABIP and 82% left on base percentage leaves a lot of room for regression, especially in course. Um, overall, he's a pitcher that's going to depend a lot on batted ball luck in Colorado. Yeah, it's just a bad uh, recipe. And, you know, maybe he's figured out some magic form- formula. He is a local kid. But I'm not going to invest a top 40 price in a pitcher with these skills in that environment. I have him 61st. And that's a move down from where I originally had him at 59th. So that lets you know how unimpressed I was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, um, that sounds reasonable. Again, I haven't done my rankings yet. But, yeah, I just – top 40. I mean, we were talking about John Gray here last year, and I think Gray's got better stuff than Freeland. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tyler Glasnow, 166.1, starting pitcher 44. After the Tampa trade, Glasnow seemingly showed some growth in control, but the homers became a major issue. Where do you stand on him? So he's he's another one. This is like a the playing time sort of discussion that we were just having. Um, with only two pitches, I think the Rays are likely going to use him as an opener or the middle reliever type roles, whatever we're calling them now. Um, and I think his value could be pretty limited, but if he does get some expanded innings, or even if they just maximize those innings, he could be the type where it's like 110 or 120 innings of really good one or two times through the order type stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Because with the two pitches, you can make that work. You don't have to have three to really dominate. Um, So 44 might be a little too expensive for me, um, given that where how he's going to slot in right now is questionable, but as we go along and we get a better sense of what's going on in Tampa during spring training, I think there's he can move, he can move. Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm well behind the market. Um, the optimism comes from the growth, in part, and the change in scenery. He took a nice step forward on the control front. He can live at 4.27 walks per nine, and was actually a good bit better than that in Tampa. He was close to closer to the I think three. Um, he started to de-emphasize the fastball a little bit and throw more up in the zone. I actually have the walk right here is 3.47. So he's about three and a half from 4.27. So that's a nice, that's a nice game. And that would be fantastic given his ability to generate whips. The homers per nine skyrocketed in Tampa 1.52. That's probably not going to stick, but given the division and throwing the heater more up in the zone, I would probably place him around 1.2 per nine. Um, so even at 3.47 walks per nine with that sort of increased home run rate, there's going to be some blowups. Um, and like you said, we have to we have to worry about the leash here. We have to worry about the role. I think that the Tampa intends to give him the opportunity to function as a starting pitcher. Um, but if he struggles, he might turn into a three inning opener, or he might turn into the three inning guy after the opener. Um, so. This just seems very expensive for me. Um, Where do you have him right now? I have him, I believe, in the high 50s, like right around 58. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, right? Like, it's just it's just too expensive for, for someone where we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, he's not, and it's not like he's a finished yeah, product yet. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. So there's still a lot of stuff that has to go right for him to return value. Exactly. And, like... The, the the improved 
the, the improved command, right? That could just be, you know, noise, right? It could just be a coincidence that he moved and he happened to, to be better in that stretch, you know? Well, he did change some things, right? Like, he, he de-emphasized the fastball a little bit and he started throwing the fastball more up. So there were changes that could have led to better results. Uh, that, I'm going to at least give him credit for that. Okay. But you're right. It is it is a small enough sample that it could just be noise as well. Yeah. Yeah, and not 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 enough good noise to be 44. No, I agree with you on that. I think that it is a little expensive. I think this is the case where, like I was talking about with Bueller, the industry is very high on a young player with a great pedigree, and I'm more willing to wait and see. Yeah. Um, okay, so then Rich Hill, 188.1, starting pitcher, 51. Joe, did the early drafters miss the second half of this year? A 3.03 ERA, a 3.28 FIP, a 3.34 XFIP, 10-plus K per nine. Is this significant value or am I taking crazy pills? Okay, actually, so to answer your question, I think the answer is yes. And that's exactly why he's so low. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous, right? But people check out, one. And two... I think Hill leaves an incredibly bad taste in people's mouths, given how up and down those 130 innings were, right? So not in terms of production, but just pitching those innings, right? There was one point last year in the season where he was set to come back. He pitched one pitch and then re-hit the DL, right? He threw one pitch in the game and re-hit the DL. But this is not an excuse, Joe. I know, like, this I know. Is who I'm, he just, is. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> I know, that's but, why. I, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you have to go into this with eyes wide open and understand that this is, it's not going to be a smooth ride. That's who he is. I Yeah, yeah. I think players are just frustrated by and, the type of player Hill is. And I'm saying this as a guy that comes from a background where I, where, where like my primary format is head-to-head cats. <laughs> like, like you would think the Roto guys would be like, all right, I'll yeah, just close cares? my eyes yeah. and take the 130 and the good results there and just, you know, set it and forget it because that's what this guy is going to end up doing. But it just seems as though there's some kind of stigma against him. So this one totally leaped off the page at me. And you know the story, uneven starts of the year, injured, deep Dodgers rotation, but Rich Hill was great in the second half if you held on to him. And that's basically the story. It's a roller coaster to own him. At the end of the day, 3.6 ERA, 10 plus K per nine, solid whip with the fly ball profile. Isn't this what you want Tyler Glass now to be? Like if yeah. Tyler Glass now produced 10 plus K per nine, a 3.6 ERA, and an excellent whip, everyone would be throwing a parade and i mean if i can pencil him in for a three and a half era with that sort of k percentage and whip profile for 130 innings in this climate i'm all about it um jeff zimmerman of fangraphs did some research hill was a top 20 starting pitcher when everyone was prorated to 180 innings so on a per inning basis he's a top 20 starting pitcher yeah. So my, my only concern is the Dodgers. I'm worried about the starting pitching options. But Hill could also be a trade candidate, as I mentioned at the top, to free up money. I have him as starting pitcher 34. I am way above the market on him, um, which makes me think he's going to have substantial value. So last year, in what was somewhat of a down year from his prior couple of years, he finished as starting pitcher 40. So he's an SP 3 or 4 that's going at an SP 5 price. Hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, the the big thing for me is right in comparison to like guys like Glasnow, like you mentioned, and Ray. Um, I just don't know what you're paying for in those guys over Rich Hill. But again, I, I just I do think this is the case of not not fantasy, just looking at the numbers, but the feel of the game. That's what I feel like this is. It's more the feel of the fantasy game than it is. Um, wow, this is 130 innings of good baseball. Well, to me, this is people are buying are willing to buy production volatility as opposed to injury volatility. Yes, yes. Actually, that's an extremely good point, right? Because now we have Darvish and Hill. So, I mean, and to me, I would rather have the production base and take my shot that they'll stay healthy. And like I said, with Hill, I'm not buying him for 180 innings. I'm buying him for like 120, 130. And I'm betting that I can combine his 120 and 130 with 60 innings of somebody that I pick up and I will get really, really good results from that. And at this price, I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. This, this is, I would expect this to be his price if he pitched 60 innings last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe, I can't believe I've come this far and that I now agree with you about Rich Hill analysis. There was a time where I hated Rich Hill more than anyone on earth but it's hard to argue with you. It's been um, three years now. Like it's, it's, time it's hard, to, yeah. And he hasn't been, and that's kind of my point. Like he was like a top thirty-five-ish arm last year, and he Wait, did what, exactly what, was, what you would have expected him to do. He was do. top forty, you said, right? I would say he was like top thirty-five-ish. Was where I, I think I remember him being. Okay, I thought you just said he was forty. Oh, he finished. On the ESPN player radar as SP40. Okay, okay. I'm saying pre-draft. He was like a top 35-ish arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And he did exactly what you expected him to do. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know. All right, well, let's move on, though, because I can talk about that all day. Yes, you can. Zach Godley, 196, SP54. He was one of the bigger disappointments from last year. He struggled pretty much all year. Do you think Godley could rebound in 2019? So uh, when I first – when I first started writing about Godley, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, how did – we all thought this was going to happen. Then I looked back at what I wrote last year, and um, I definitely missed. I should have been more cautious with how extremely hittable yeah, he is. Yeah, I missed Godley too, definitely. Um, and mainly with the sinker. In today's environment, right, the sinker needs to be truly, truly, truly elite and consistently good. Um, he's probably not quite as bad as he was in 2018, but also not likely as good as 2017. He's got to rein in the walks, the walks back in to get that ERA down closer to 4.0 because a guy with a lot of base runners who puts the ball in play as much as he does is going to have a bad time. Um, You're going to have a bad time. He's going to have a bad time, <laughs> yeah. I think he could rebound, but nowhere close to what he was in 17. Yeah, I mean, he could rebound, but he needs the velocity back. So in his breakout year, the velocity was 92. And it was actually, for most of his good stretch, around 93, 94. That was and a mechanics thing, too, right? Sorry to interject, right? But that was a mechanics change. He correct? had made a mechanical change and tapped into some velocity, but then lost it. Yeah, okay. So it started to tick down as the year went along. He would, he went from, like, elite to solid. And then last year, he was down around 90 most of the year. And he just got completely crushed. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think he has to get all the way back to 93, 94, but if he can find his way to 92, which is still asking a lot because that's two ticks, 
Um, I think he's got a chance to be good. But and, 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 I th- and I think there is a level where he could probably live at 90, but the curveball command needs to be there. And I felt like he was lacking it for most of the year. It really showed up in the walk rate. Um, he was better in the second half skills-wise when he started to lean more on the curve. There was some bad luck. But even at that level where he's like a 90-mile-per-hour fastball guy with an elite curve, I still think he's like an upper threes ERA guy without that velocity. So there's there's a path to improvement if you can find the command. But when you watch him pitch, um, you know, it's tough to find where that command is going to come from because his, his motion is kind of wild and herky-jerky. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know enough about mechanics to turn around and say he can't find it because we've seen him ha- have it before. But I'm not hopeful. Like, I think that Godley's sort of like your, your last or your second to last starting pitcher flyer kind of guy. Yeah, right. So, um, so I think he can bounce back, like I said, and I agree with the analysis. But I'd feel really, really bad drafting him here. I feel like I throw, I threw away a pick. Yeah, like I feel much close. I feel much better about him if he's ten starting pitcher spots lower. Yeah, like, like mid sixties to seventy. To be right. honest, give me almost any other guy after we talk about Godley on this list that we're going to talk about, as I think all of them offer some sort of real upside that Godley doesn't. Yeah, without the velocity returning magically. Yeah. Okay, Cole Hamels, 203.9 SP56. Uh, talking about magical returning velocity, <laughs> club option was picked up. Hamels was great for the Cubs down the stretch. Where in the spectrum do you think Hamels falls between full year 2018 results? his time with the Cubs, and his time with the Rangers. Wow, Joe. Why are you so obsessed with Cole Hamilton's <laughs> velocity? That's all I heard. <laughs> yeah, so I, he didn't really do anything mechanically to warrant the mile-per-hour velo boost when he moved to the Cubs. Um, I took a look at his arm slots. There wasn't really anything that changed. Um, but I think, I think it's just a case of... Um, him being a, in a more competitive environment. Um, Hamels pumped it up, up by, I think it was two miles an hour when he was a Cub up to 93. Um, I think I think when he's got the velo, he's good. When he doesn't, he's not going to be as good. Um, you know, 89 as a Ranger, he made it work, um, but I'd be a lot more afraid of it kind of coming back to bite him. Um, I think he's a good safety play in terms of innings. Um, if you need a home run play to kind of win you a league at this point, I think I'd stay away. But yeah, if you just need to bite into some innings, Hamels is pretty good. And I'd definitely rather have him over Godley. Yeah, I have a theory about the velocity. And I think what might have happened is that he sort of saved his bullets for the for when he got traded. Um, you know, he was, he was down around 89. He was sort of de-emphasizing the fastball with the Rangers and then he got traded. And not only did he see the uptick in the velocity in what you're talking about, which is a more competitive environment, but he also started to throw the pitch more, which might come across as strange to some people being that, you know, a lot of times we're talking about pitchers de-emphasizing the fastball and, um, you know, 
when he saw the uptick, he started throwing it more. So I'm curious to see if it was sort of a situation where he saved his bullets and then started to really unleash. And I'm wondering if maybe we see a similar thing this year where he sort of comes into spring training, he's throwing 89, he's throwing 89. Through April, he's throwing 89, he struggles. And then, boom, in mid-May or June, suddenly the velocity comes back because he's later in the year and he's warmed up and, um, you know, he's into the season and, you know, the Cubs need that sort of production. So I'm wondering if this is sort of a, a theory where, He's kind of pulling a, a Joey Votto and baiting the league and saving his bullets and then breaking them out um, later in the year. And, and it might lead to him being a potential buy low candidate. Of course, it could result in complete disaster where the velocity never comes back. Um, but in terms of what I see for Hamels, I think he could be a mid to high three ZRA guy around eight and a half to nine case per nine. He's in a very nice situation. He's got the good defense behind him. Um, he's got the good arsenal. 92, if it sticks, is certainly good enough from the left side. I would even feel comfortable with him at 91. Um, and he really started trusting the fastball in Chicago. He was throwing four seamers more. Um, so if that pitch is not a negative, the fastball is not a negative, I really like Hamels because that means the change will play out further. I find the price very interesting. I wonder if maybe this is a little bit of last year's rankings influencing influencing the experts. I have Hamels at 44 on my big board. So give me give me him and Rich Hill and I'll just take the old guys, man. I I have a question though. If you if let's say in spring training he is pumping 89. What are you doing? Are you moving him down? I'll move down a little bit, but I'm not going to completely panic. I'm not going to get him this low. Okay. You're right because um you know, if he if he's pumping the low velo and he's struggling at the beginning, even if he does eventually want to tap tap into it a little bit more um that's still like you know a month or two that you're pretty much not starting him yeah which hurts yes it does but he's cheap enough that he can be a bench piece that you can find out about or maybe he's just a player that you just wait on and buy low if my theory is correct because that's what i'm thinking like i'm thinking like all right if the velocity comes down enough in spring training Maybe I'll test my theory out, pass on him on draft day, and then try and acquire him on the cheap come mid-May. Yeah, so I think that's a better approach. That's I was kind of trying to lure you into that, but yeah, I think that's the approach. Okay, let's move to Jimmy Nelson, 238.9, starting pitcher 67. I was the high man on Nelson in the two early mocks, and I'm looking at a 2017 breakout with a full spring training and full health after he didn't pitch last year. Am I missing something, or do you think the market's going to catch up to me once news starts pouring in that Nelson is on schedule? Yeah, this is just a lack of information issue. Um, I do imagine once we get word what the velocity is like, how healthy the shoulder actually is, and see a little bit in spring training, we'll get a better feel of where he's going. Um, I, I think this is just a case of fantasy experts kind of forgetting about him um, and just not having enough information to really make an assessment. And me being really smart, right? Sure. Thanks. I'll stroke that so, ego a little. Yeah, I, I fully expect that the ADP is going to rise. Um, you know, he's got premium stuff, and he's one of those pitchers that's outside the top 30 that could finish inside the top 15, theoretically. The stuff is that good. Um, I think once the health becomes a given and he's throwing and the velocity show, shows, I expect him to be a lot closer to starting pitcher 40 than starting pitcher 70. 
Let me ask you, how high do you think he can climb? Um, hmm. So you think he can get the starting pitcher 35? Probably a little bit outside of that. Probably a little bit outside of that. sneak inside the top 40? Or would you think he'd be firmly outside the top 40? I think, I think given the severity of the injury, um, they might kind of ease him into innings. Um, so I think it might be a, a comp, like a compilation issue, like compiling innings might be a little bit tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking ADP. I'm not talking where you think he finished. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, <clears throat> no. How high do you think he goes? Um, probably like between 45 and 50. If he's 45 and 50, I will own him everywhere. Okay. Yeah. W- wait, how high do you think he actually could end up? Oh, in terms of finish? Yeah, like what's a what's a you know not right. like a not a ninety nine percentile, but so seventy five. Yeah, sure. Top thirty five. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm I'm at too, right? Like I think he's probably could end up between like thirty five and forty again because of not being able to compile a ton of innings. But then at SP forty SP fifty. Yeah, he's plus a he's a value. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Okay. I will own him everywhere if he's SP fifty. Okay. Yeah. I well. I mean, how high do you think he goes? I think he could get as high as. I don't low think he's 40s. gonna get. In, I don't think he's gonna get inside the top forty though. I think he could get low forties, and even then, I'm still interested. Okay. All right. So we're pretty close. I said forty-five to fifty. Yeah, because because uh, I think. I think like the ninety-nine percent outcome is so good, and it's so much better than a lot of these guys' ninety-nine percent outcomes. That I'm going to own him in most leagues if that's his price. Okay, Tuki Tussat, 252.1, starting pitcher 74, and Corbin Burns, 260, SP80. Two young potential studs. Who do you like better? Ooh, all right. So uh, Burns has had much more success both in their in their brief time in the mi- majors and in the minors. Uh, Tussat is armed with the best pitch of the two in the curveball. But his fastball is largely hittable, and the change splitter is a work in progress, to say the least. Um, I admittedly haven't had a lot of opportunities to see Burns pitch, um, so I don't want to really harp too much on Burns. I'm going to leave that to you a little bit. With that said, uh, Toussaint could possibly land in the pen with the depth the Braves have, and his velo on his fastball, coupled with the strong secondary offerings, um, really places him in territory where he could land in the pen. Um, Burns is more of a two-pitch pitcher, and he's got better control and not quite as much competition in the rotation. Oh, I, I mean, I know I'm kind of dancing around here a little bit, but I guess I'd rather have the guy with the best pitch in Tucson. Yeah, long-term, I think Tucson is the answer. He has an outrageous ceiling, and although he's been around for a long while, people forget he's only 22. And with filthy breaking stuff, the, the real issue is the command and control that just aren't there yet. And he obviously has stuff to work on. And I think the Braves are actually going to utilize their depth here and give him another two or three months down on the farm to sort that issue out before bringing him up for good. I know that's an unpopular opinion, and I know that a lot of people think he's going to start the year in the rotation. Um, it's just he's so young, and at this point, I think his upside, his absolute upside is so high that – I think they're going to ride this out to try to get him to be a starter before they toss him into the pen, I agree. especially when they've already got a pretty good pen base there 
with Vizcaino and Minter and uh, Winkler, and I suspect they might even add a pen arm this offseason. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to give him the opportunity to start. And I also think that he might be an asset where if they're competitive again and they really feel like they need that frontline starting pitcher, I think he could be the headliner of a package to bring in a frontline starter. Um, you know, yep. it maybe could even be this offseason. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes for like a, a Paxton um, type yeah. this offseason. Yeah. Um, so as a result, in going into 2019, I prefer Burns. Um, Stearns has already come out and said that he's going to be a starter. Uh, Brewers do not have the depth that the Braves do, so I think the opportunity favors Burns. Um, although I favor Toussaint long-term, Burns is definitely more of a finished product. He's got a starter's arsenal with good command. He had a 15% swing strike rate and probably deserved better on the K front in terms of his time in the majors. Now, obviously, that was out of the bullpen. Um, my concern is that the fastball graded positive and everything else floated around average. So if you take him out of the pen, the velocity is probably more 93-94 than 95+. plus. So if the fastball takes a hit, does it become an average pitch? And does all his other secondary stuff play down? We don't know. Um, but that is a question mark. I would normally be concerned, but the eye test tells me that Burns has the breaking stuff that it's going to be better than what it graded out as last year. And I think whatever hit the fastball takes when the secondary will play up in a larger sample. So I think it kind of offsets it. Uh, I like the price on Burns and I, and I think I might own him next year and definitely over Tucson, who I think is going to end up in the minors. Okay. This is probably like, this is probably a reasonable area to be drafting them though, right? I think it is. I just think it depends on, you know, again, I, I just think if you're drafting Tucson here, you're drafting him under the premise that he's going to be up by the end of April in theory, because I don't think that you're going to stash him in sure. most redraft formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just not optimistic. I think he's got too much to work on still, and I think the Braves want him to figure it out. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, that's fair. I, I meant more in terms of Burns, too, right? Because he is really only armed with two pitches. Um, so, you know, you got to figure that the he'll probably sneak into seven innings a couple of times, but um, he's probably going to be mostly like a five innings type guy, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think that's more a function of – I'm a little bit higher on the Arsenal overall than you are. But I, I think that's a function of the fact that the Brewers are armed with such a good pen. True. And, you know, he's going to be towards the back end of the rotation. So he's going to really have to show well to sort of get himself into that, you know, seven inning sort of framework. So I can see that. But yeah, I yeah. think I think he's got a reasonable shot to be pretty good this year. OK. Yeah. I, I mean, my point is just that, like, I think that, you know, 260 overall or starting pitcher 80. I mean, if you have them a little bit higher, I think that's okay if you believe in the stuff. But I wouldn't be going out and like chasing them, either of them. Is, no, no, point. I wouldn't go much higher than this on either one of them. Okay. I would go much higher on Tyler Skaggs, 254.7, <laughs> starting pitcher 76. Shocker. Skaggs finally put it together last year, um, giving us something more than a glimpse with 125 innings pitched. What do you make of him heading into 2019? If he's closer to his peripherals, there's some good potential here, right? You tell me. You tell me. Okay, so I messaged Joe probably about a week ago, and I was like, much like with 
what I said about Jimmy Nelson. I'm going to own Tyler Skaggs everywhere. And I'll tell you why. There's good stuff here. He had the uptick in the K rate and the swing strike rate to boot. He's got good control and a pretty good home park. Um, shifting some of the fastball mix towards the slider, uh, towards the sinker, which I think may have helped the change play up. And that effectively gives him four pitches with a four seam, a sinker, a change, and of course the curveball. So Skaggs' performance could have been even better had he not suffered a groin issue. On July 31st, Skaggs got blown up and then went on the DL due to the groin issue. From that point forward, he was never able to throw more than 3.1 innings in a start. With a 14.09 ERA, bad control, he was a total mess. Before July 31st, Skaggs was throwing at an ace level. This was 110 innings pitch, so that's a significant workload for the first half of the year, right? 2.62 ERA, 9.41K per nine, 2.54 walks per nine. To me, he's an awesome value at this price. I drafted him much higher than this in the too early mock. And if he's anywhere near this price, I'm going to own him everywhere. What I find interesting is that there's another Angels pitcher with pretty identical production and a similar history of injuries. Andrew Heaney is going 75 picks before Skaggs. Now, I understand Heaney threw 55 more innings, but I'm not confident in saying Heaney's definitely going to throw more innings than Skaggs. I'm not confident in that at all. And I think that Skaggs is a significant value at this price when you consider the fact that all of the bad stuff came in a very small sample, either just before or after he got hurt. Okay. Here, I'm going to give you some homework. Okay. Okay. Let's, between you and I, let's take a look at Skaggs's um, release points for the first half of this year okay. and the rest of his career. I want to see if there was a noticeable change in mechanics between this this first half, let's throw out the second half, right? If he if he was truly injured, mm-hmm. let's see if there was a change, because that'll be a good predictor of the future. Um, because he has been pretty bapid prone, all things considered, throughout his career. But that string of three months was excellent. So I'm curious to see if there was some change that would prevent those bapid blows from coming back, or if it was just noise. I think part of the change you have to consider. Even if there is no change in release point, pitch mix is pitch mix because okay, I think I'm, he started I'm to, that too. Yeah, I think he started to move. I don't have the data in front of me, but I think he started to incorporate a sinker. And I think what ended up happening is that led to the changeup playing up. And so it gave him fastball up to pair with his curveball, forcing fastball up to pair with his curveball. And sinker down to pair with his changeup. So he sort okay. of had two and two. I, I'm pretty sure he had used a sinker in the past. Um, Fangraphs has 13 and 14. He had a sinker he threw a third of the time. I bet you, though, that his fastball and his sinker are probably pretty close. And they How much did he use his changeup at that time? Uh, his changeup was... Uh, 19% in 13 and 10% in 14. It was 13% this year. Okay. So, um, I don't want to, I don't want to like poo poo your analysis. Um, but I just want to, I think we have to do a little bit more research okay. between the two of us, if that's okay. Yes, that's fine. But I do not care. I'm going to own <laughs> Okay. All right. And that's going to bring us to our final picture. We're going to talk about Nate Eovaldi, 256 SP78. Playoff hero, definitely headed up the board once he signs. Where does an investment in Evaldi become imprudent given his health and production history? 
Yeah, so, I mean, Pat, you laid out the changes that Evaldi made to his fastball location and general approach. So I don't really want to harp on this a lot until we do the review um, of starting pitchers later or early next year. I think if he goes in the area where Weaver, Maida, Bieber is probably going, um, I think that's where he'll probably end up. Um, he's he, Him going a little bit after Jay Happ is probably where I see him peak. Um, and that's a pretty big range because I think that's in between like 160 and 215 overall. Um, but I could see him going anywhere. Believers really believing he'll probably be right behind Jay Happ. People thinking it's just some sort of noise spike and that he's injury prone. We'll probably have him further down. See, I think this is going to be one that moves huge. And we saw it in the first pitch Arizona drafts. Eovaldi was selected as SP40. Where's uh, – let me find out where Happ is. So I think there's going to be serious helium on Eovaldi because the the two early mocks began, I think, when the season – when we were still in mid-September, right? Glasnow is so, 40. And I think 40. we mentioned this when we talked about David Dahl, that his ADP data was some noise because it hadn't accounted for his crazy end to the year. And I think it's going to be the same thing with the Ovaldi here. I don't see any way he's going SP78. And 40 might be extreme, but I don't think it's going to be that far outside of it based upon what we saw at the end of the year. And you know me, I'm a huge Ovaldi guy. Always have been, always thought that he had, you know, another level to him. But I'm not investing, like, at a top 40 price. I could get in around 50 because I think there's – a developed workable arsenal here at this point. Um, but, you know, it, it's sort of odd because they're sort of all over the board, but I think Eovaldi and Skaggs and he are all very similar assets, you know, capable starters who took, who missed some time due to injury and now they're more fully developed. Um, and, and another thing is you got to consider about drafting him close to the top 40 is that arm was under a boatload of stress in October. Velocity-wise, usage-wise, and he does have a significant amount of injury risk. Now, at a top 40 price, that's a significant investment. At 55, 60, I feel a lot better about it. Um, and we don't know where he's going to end up pitching, too. So, I mean, if he's in a bad ballpark, it could be tough. And he's got a guy that's got, like, a lot of split issues, right? Like, he really struggles against lefties. So, he's got... He's got platoon issues as well, so he's easy to game plan for. In the playoffs, you, you can't, you know, you can you can kind of play around with that and make it work. But I don't know. I just think that this is going to be a lot of helium, and and I and I hate it because I really want to own him. Yeah, but I can't pay for him at that kind of level where he's like a top forty to fifty starting pitcher. There's just no way. Sure, he hasn't been there. So uh, I just want to add something, right? So I mentioned Tap as the the. St- like the point where I think he end up right behind because I think Hap is a very, very, very similar sort of player, right? Fastball leaning, but Hap has had a ton of success. Where yeah, Hap has had a lot of good seasons. Where Avaldi has not. So that's why I thought he'd sneak right behind him. But Hap was 43, and you're telling me Ivaldi's at 40. So well, that's uh, and I just want to clarify that was one draft in Arizona. No, I understand. I understand. I understand. But right? I but, think it's indicative, more indicative of his current price than SB78. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And so I'm with you, right? There's 
no way I can take Ivaldi over a J.A. Happ, right? That's number one. Yeah, right? I agree with that. Because they're like, again, extremely similar players, but Happ's been doing this for like four or five years now. The second and thing, in, and in the toughest division in baseball. True. The second thing is right. Um, you know, we we watched we watched the playoffs, right? And we talked about this a lot. Like Eovaldi's fastball, while very very fast and gets on you so quickly, it's pretty much as straight as an arrow. Um, there's very very little movement to it, and in the playoffs, right? You every every single pitch is a high stress pitch, so it's no surprise that he was pumping 101, right? You know, when we're talking about a game in a meaningless game in May, is he going to be pumping 101 again? I mean, there's going to be times when he's pumping 97, they leak over, and he and he gives up a three run bomb. Um, I know that's like just minimizing things and generalizing things, but again. I'm with you. Forty, even forty-three is too high for me, um, given the injury risk and the arsenal. Okay, so let's just let's just make this as clear as we can. In the best case scenario, right? What is Eovaldi's ninety-nine percentile outcome? Um, like probably. 99 percentile it's probably like top 15 to be honest really okay see yeah your 99 percentile is higher than mine well because if he does if he does almost what he did oh maybe top 15 is a little high maybe it's closer to like top 20 or 22 or so yeah but like an eight a low 8k per nine with no walks and a mid threes era i mean that's probably like right out right outside top 20 it's probably like 25 ish okay yeah so like that's the area i think his i think i agree with you on that i think his best case outcome is the season that jameson tyone just had which i think it fits to a t what you just described yeah 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 that's that's actually pretty good and i don't want to draft a player with that upside at you know 100 percent best case outcome is top 25 at 40. Top 25 at 40. Yeah. 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 I mean, there, so to, to, to give Ivaldi some credit, right. There is something to be said about mixing in the cutter, right? Like the pitch in between his slider and his fastball and the fastball up. Let's not forget about that either. Yeah. And the fastball up, right. So it's a combination of both, but Right, even with the mechanic, even with the pitch mix change, right, we still only saw a FIP of like three six, and peaking out at you know eight point one nine K per nine or something like that. Right, so it's not like he was like world beater, 10, 10 plus K per nine, two ERA, super excellent. I mean, he was excellent in the playoffs again, but I think that's just due to the fact that the innings are just so much more stressful, and you have to pump everything you've got at every pitch. Yeah, well, I, I I recall a conversation that took place on Sleeper in the Bus some time ago with Eno and Paul Spore, and they had John Smoltz on, and John Smoltz was saying that every playoff inning is like an inning and a half. Yeah, so like that's you know, right. the best that you put on your arm. So, yeah, and and that's just it. I mean, you know, I talk a lot about injury risk and you know wanting to buy into the injury risk 
because I think that a lot of times those players tend to be discounted. But this is a case where there's no discount because the playoff healing is going to take him to a level well beyond where I would feel comfortable. Sure. So to, to be fair, though, right, um, I, I'm not actually worried about um, so much injury risk, um, although he, he was banged up this year, no? Yes, he, he was coming back from Tommy John. Yeah. And then he got, I think it was a forearm strain. Mm, that's right, that's right. In, like, May. And that came out for about six weeks. And then he came back and was very good, was mostly good for Tampa. And then he got traded. And then I think he was kind of uneven in Boston at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I forgot about, I forgot about the fact that he got hurt. Because um, if he had a clean bill of health this year, um, then he'd be kind of in the, the Tommy John honeymoon period where I'd be kind of really on board. But since he got hurt again, yeah, there's got to be some downside. And again, you're right. Like if we think that the 99 percentile is top 25 or even top 20, let's say it's, you know, really, really high. Yeah. I mean, that might be fair. I don't know where Tyone finished, but I would bet that that's probably somewhere sure. between 20 and 25. Yeah. Between 20 and 25. Right. Like I, I think you're right at 40, right. That's ahead of, or that's right behind someone like Darvish who has got like top 10 upside. So that's like four picks behind Darvish. But yeah. yeah. And I would think that Darvish is like top 20 type season is probably like a 65% yeah, exactly. outcome. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like I'd much rather have Darvish. Yeah. The rate that that's the thing, right? Between the 60th percent, percent outcome on Evaldi and his 99 is a lot bigger than Darvish's 60 and 99. And if he's going inside the top 50, he's going in theory in, at average show. Yeah. And I'd much rather have Rich <laughs> Shocker. No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you though. I'm with you. So we're, let me just ask you this before we, before we sign off. So I mentioned the two angel starters. How would you order them and Evaldi? In terms Who's of that? Haney, Skaggs, and Eovaldi? Yeah, just straight up. How would you order those three? Straight up, it's yeah. um, it's it's uh, Eovaldi, Skaggs, Haney. I think. That's how I have them too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Without price considered. Yeah. So you'd rather have Skaggs over Haney? Yeah. Okay. I agree. Yeah. All right. That's gonna wrap it up for us today. Uh, we will be back. We're gonna shoot to record November 29th. And I'm not sure what that show is going to be about, but it'll be about something. Hopefully we'll have some news to talk about, maybe. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much for listening, guys. You can find me on Twitter at PatrickFWO. Yeah, you can find me at JoeFWO. Peace out, and uh, everyone have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. See you later.